0: Well, good morning, church. You look great. Grab a Bible, Acts chapter 12. All right, I'm skipping the intro because we don't have time for it. The best part's at the end anyway. Acts chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 11. We're in a brand new series called Faith, Hope, and Love. Today we're talking about faith. Acts 12, 11. It says, when Peter came to himself... i got to stop there and explain. That's why it takes us three years to get through Acts. So here's what he's coming out of. Peter and James, uh, two of the apostles, they were arrested... In, earlier in this chapter, and the church gets together and they start praying, and then uh, James dies, so it doesn't work out so good for him. But for Peter, there's this uh, miraculous escape from prison. This angel shows up in the prison, wakes Peter up, <clears throat> and gets him out of prison. And so Acts 12:11 says, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. You see, when all this was going on, Peter wasn't even sure if this was really happening or not. Because, you know, if you've been with us through this journey, all kind of crazy stuff happened to Peter. Remember he had that vision with the big sheet with the BLT sandwich coming down, and God said, go ahead and kill and eat, praise God, because it's good to eat bacon, and Peter, Peter could eat bacon, and then you remember that time where... Peter uh, baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, and then God just kind of zaps him, and then he's just in a different place, so these these miraculous, visionary kind of things have happened to Peter, and so he's not even sure that it's really happening until he looks around, and he finds out that he's out of prison, and I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where where you've just kind of got your nose to the grindstone, I don't even know what that means, I don't know what a grindstone is or why you'd put your nose on it, but you know the saying, you've just been in it for so long. And then kind of when it's all over, you look up and you go, wow, God has been moving in my life. That was kind of my feeling last Sunday night after our uh, final Easter service. When I got home, you know, we had a 522 service and then I finally get home and I sit down and I pick up the remote and I, what do I do? I'm looking for Duck Dynasty because I gave up television for Lent. And so I'm scrolling through the channels looking for Duck Dynasty, hoping and praying that I will get to see the, uh, you know, modern day prophet, Cy Robertson, speak the word of God to me. Right, Jack? That's right. And so as I'm scrolling through and I'm looking for Duck Dynasty, what I come across, I go, oh, maybe this is it because I hear a redneck and it's me. And I'm on television, First Coast News. Did you see that? They did a story on our church. Did y'all see that story they did on our church? And so really, we need to say thanks to First Coast News because it was all positive. Everything was, was, was going great. And the whole point was that, you know, we just launched and, and we had almost 6,000 people here at Easter. And one of my favorite parts was they interviewed a guy named Chad, a guy on our serve staff. And I don't know if you heard Chad's word, but Chad says, this must be God because we are not that good. That was, that's what he said. And I thought, amen. That might need to be our new logo. Welcome to the Church of 1122. It must be God for we are not that good. <clears throat> and, and there are times where I just kind of have to pinch myself and say, wow, God, you really are doing some stuff. Because, you know, if you're on staff in something, you're just so busy week to week to week. You know, I preach every four days, so it's just sermon, sermon, sermon. But, but on that, that last Sunday night, Easter Sunday night, I'm sitting on my couch going, God, you were doing some amazing things. Folks, 477 people have given their life to the Lordship of Christ here at the Church of Love 22. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Right now, right now, I think we have 276 people signed up to be baptized on June 2nd. All right. You know how many baptism videos you get to watch? That's going to be awesome. We've joked about we need to do a night at the movies and just three hours of baptism videos. Show up, eat some popcorn. We probably won't do that, but isn't that awesome? And marriages are being restored and and people are being set free from addictions and God is doing some pretty amazing stuff. And so don't get so caught up in it that you can't kind of wake up from it and see what God is doing in and among us. So I kind of know a little bit of what Peter's going through here. And if you are... If you are one of those 477 people giving your life to Christ or you're new to church again or you're just kind of dusting your your Bible off again, we have a a class called Origins that we'd love for you to get involved in because we did not start this church just to draw large crowds. If I wanted to get in the large crowd business, I'd go into, you know, monster trucks or something, all right? We want to make disciples, make disciple-making disciples. And so check out your bulletin, maybe sign up for that Origins class so you can start that discipleship process. So Peter wakes up, figures out, wow, that really happened. Verse 12. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, so it's kind of like the new headquarters, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and they were praying. I don't know if you remember verse 5, but when Peter and James get put in jail, the church does what the church is supposed to do, and the church gets together and prays, and they have a prayer meeting. Now, I've got a little confession for you. Um, I'm not a big fan of church prayer meetings. All right? And I know you go, well, pastor, how can you even be a pastor? Look, I ask myself the same question every week. I understand. And and the reason I say that, I'm totally for prayer, but sometimes I've been to prayer meetings, and they just get weird. I don't know if you've ever been to that kind of prayer meeting, and it just gets weird. And I just want to let you know, the Holy Spirit's not weird, but Christians are weird, okay? And so when I was in college, I was a part of this ministry called University Christian Fellowship, and sometimes... Without letting us know, they would sort of exchange the typical sing and talk worship service for a prayer meeting, and they wouldn't let any of us know. And one of the things that, that would bother me is that the guy that was leading the prayer meeting, who was in charge of, of our campus ministry, um, kind of an older guy, and he had like two different voices. I don't know if you've ever heard these kind of guys, but they'd talk in one voice, but they would pray in a different voice. And when he would pray, he'd say, Father, we just come before you tonight and lay it at your feet. And I thought, you sound funny, dude. I know that is not how you talk at home. Hey, baby, would you fix me a glass of tall ass tea? I mean, you don't do that. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not doing the voice. So if that's how you have to pray, then, then I'm out. And then the other thing that they would do is they'd say, if everybody would just grab a hand next to you. And you think, oh, no. Because I'm all for holding hands if I get to pre-decide who is on my left and who is on my right before the prayer circle time happens, because inevitably it's me and my big hairy fraternity brother, and I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be awkward, right? And I'm holding hands with this freak. And then, and then what would then begin to happen is there is an insider language in prayer meeting like no other. And so I'm, you know, when the prayer time, you know, everybody's going around the circle doing their prayers and everybody's trying to out-pray each other, right? And then when it gets to me, I've read the Sermon on the Mount, so I'm not praying out loud and getting my, you know, my reward here, I'm gonna take it in heaven. So I'm gonna skip. And so what do you do, right? You do the universal, I'm not praying out loud, I'm skipping to you, hand squeeze. So I squeeze the hand and my boy ain't praying. And so I squeeze again and he's not praying. And then he doesn't know, he's never been to prayer meetings. So he's like, bro, why are you squeezing my hand? In the prayer meeting, I'm like, well, because you're going to hell. That's why. You don't know the hand squeeze thing. You're going to hell. So I'm inflicting some pain on you now so you will know what it'll be like forever, okay? So, <clears throat> or, then, or then sometimes the opposite would happen, and, and, and it might even be worse. Sometimes when I sensed that we might be in prayer meeting or just by God's common grace, I got lucky enough, and in the prayer circle, I was sitting next to a model P31. You know what a model P31 That's Proverbs 31, all right? A wife of noble character who can find me. She's sitting next to me in prayer meeting, all right? And then when you reach out and you grab hands and you're praying, at some point during the prayer, she might uh, inadvertently or accidentally or intentionally move her thumb. And then you think, oh, I feel the move of the Holy Spirit, all right? (laughs) Something is going on over here. And then you got to have the discernment of the Holy Spirit to know, do I move my thumb back? I mean, was this an invitation to be in love forever, together, and the two shall become one? That might be what the the thumb move was all about. And so I'm not thinking about the Holy Spirit or Jesus or His will. I'm thinking, do I move my thumb back? And when I say amen, then, you know, then I've got a girlfriend. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) Then one of the other things that would kind of bother me about prayer meeting. One of my fraternity brothers that came to Christ uh, grew up in Spain, and he came with me one time, and it turned into prayer meeting, and he asked me, he said, are, are most of these Christians that they used to be Hindu? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, when you pray, they all move like a cow. It's like, what? And then sure enough, somebody would say some kind of little snazzy bumper sticker cute kind of prayer phrase, and then what do the Christians do? They go, mm. See, that's how white folks say Amen when they're in a the prayer meeting. And so you got a bunch of hand holding, mooing people with funny voices praying. And so I just assure you now the Holy Spirit's not weird, but Christians are weird. And even with, with all that being said, this Thursday morning, I called our church staff and elders and deacons to a time of prayer. Because it was right, you know, it's right around that Easter season. And there's some stuff that was happening to a bunch of our people on staff. And, you know, one or two or three things happen, and you're like, okay. But when we got to the seventh one, I mean, we had some stuff happening to our staff and elders. We got a couple of elders with with major family uh, relational crisis going on. We got a couple people on staff um, or spouses broke arm blown out knee with knee surgery. Uh, Pastor Ryan spent a night in the hospital with a seven-week-old who had pneumonia. And when we hit the seventh one, this girl on staff, she was at um, the Potter's House Soul Food Bistro. Have you been to that place? Huh? Okay, can I get a move? I mean, mmm, <laughs> right? They make food like God intended, you know what I'm saying? Like, like fried with gravy on it. That's how they make it. And so, <clears throat> um, so she, was, she was there eating at the Soul Food Bistro. <clears throat> this weekend, and, or on Thursday, and, 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 uh, and she began to just scoot over in the, in the booth and got this excruciating knee pain, ended up in the emergency room. You guys know how much cornbread you have to eat to blow out your knee, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's intense. And so I am at the, I'm in the ER with her and just praying over and they can't figure it out or whatever, and so I just have to go, enough's enough, and email our staff tomorrow morning, clear your calendar, and Thursday morning we gathered in this place. Why? Because this is going to be a praying church, that we are a house of prayer. It's what we're about, that that we are serious about prayer. When you fill out a prayer card, everybody on our staff prays for it. All the elders get it. All the deacons get it. Like, we pray for every single one of those prayer requests. And we gathered in this place to just seek the manifest presence of God. Why? Because are, were we under spiritual attack? Well, I can unequivocally say yes. And the reason is, and, and again, now, I'm, I'm not like an overly charismatic guy. Like, there's a demon behind every bush, okay? Some of you are like, well, the devil's attacking me. Your credit card debt is not the devil's attack. That's because you're dumb and you bought something and you didn't have money for it. That's you. All right? He doesn't have to attack you. You're doing a good enough job attacking you, all right? He's going to leave you alone. <clears throat> now, there are some of you, and you are, you're in the crosshairs of the enemy, Anybody that's experiencing pain and suffering and loss and those kinds of things, you, you, are, you are at least at least um, collateral damage to the fall. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, when our first parents choose to sin and sin enters this world, Adam is, he, Adam is cursed and Eve is cursed and the serpent is cursed and even the ground that we walk on is cursed. And so whether he is taking a sniper shot at you or it's just kind of shrapnel from collateral damage of the fall, it's from the enemy. And so our staff and elders and deacons, we gathered in this place and we just wanted to seek the face of our good dad and to claim that he is good and he is for us and not against us and to also tell the enemy, you have no place in this, in this church. And look, what you meant for evil, you want to try to take our people out? And all it did was drive us to our knees to pray to our almighty God who is sovereign and can even use the evil intentions of evil people for his glory. And so we are a... Pray in church, Louis Giglio says that prayer is not doing nothing. Verse 13, and when he knocked at the door, so remember, Peter gets out of prison and he's going to go to Mary's house to where they're praying, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda, which by the way, to you expecting parents of girls, all right, another beautiful biblical name, if if you want to name your daughter that, second only to Dorcas, remember that was my favorite, (laughs) I think we should bring those two back. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but she ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. One of the all-time top three dumbest things in the whole New Testament. What's the whole prayer meeting about? Dear God, get Peter out of jail. And then Rhoda comes up, and there's Peter out of jail, knocking on the door. And then, and then now he didn't get released from prison. Remember, he broke out of prison. So he still smells like jail. He's out in the streets. The bloodhounds are behind him. The SWAT team is coming. And what does Rhoda do? Rhoda does what a lot of churches do. Instead of do something about their prayer, she runs and talks about it. Gets in a small group, you know, uh, uh, at, watches a video about it, talks about it. How does it make you feel when Peter's at the door knocking? You know, those kinds of things. And what do you say? You're like, Rhoda, come on, girl, open the door. God has answered your prayer, and it's right there. All you got to do is open the door. So let me ask you this, what have you been praying about or praying for? And God has answered the prayer and all it requires is for you by faith to just open the door and there's your answer to prayer, knocking on the door. You see, James, who we'll talk about in a little while, he's going to say in the book of James that faith without works or faith without action is dead. So prayer and action are not diametrically opposed that they're two sides of the same coin. Because I meet folks in here all the time. And they act like, uh, they're like they're not supposed to do anything. Here's what I meet Single guys. <clears throat> and they're just like, Pastor Joby, I need some help here. I, I've been praying for a girl. I've been praying for a date. I've been praying for a wife. I'm like, awesome. We'll go get you one. First, first though, get you a job. All right? If your mama folds your underwear, then you don't matter. I don't care how much you pray, all right? The king ain't going to let you date one of his daughters if your mama's folding your underwear, all right? Can I get an amen, women? Yeah. Right? And then and then you got to get off your butt, pray, yes, and then go, and then go. Get a job, all right? Get a job, study the word, be the kind of leader God has called you to be, and then walk across this place and go get you a date. You don't treat lunch that way, do you? You don't sit back at lunch and be like, dear God, I have this yearning inside me for a burrito. Dear God, please send me a burrito. No! You go to the burrito store and you get your burrito, all right? And so, <clears throat> I'm trying to help you single girl. Can I get, a, can I get a, a witness here, Mandy? I mean, seriously, right? So what you do, fellas, is you come in this place with your eyes on, praying in faith, looking for the, for the model P31, all right? Because I'm just going to tell you from up here, uh, it's a target-rich environment, right? And so you just pick your seat wisely because, you know, and during worship time, you look for that girl with her hands up, look at her left hand, make sure she's, she's good to go. And then you sit next to her because you don't ever know when I'm going to go. Just grab the hand next to you and you'll be like, praise Jesus, right? Reach over there and I already taught you the thumb move. What more do you want? Come on, people. Our staff sits on the front row. We usually leave a couple of seats open by the single girls. All right, so help yourself out. <clears throat> some uh, out on the needs board, there's people, you know, half the needs are job postings. I need a job. I need a job. I know some of you need a job. You can pull one of those things off a couple weeks ago, call them up. Hey, man, what kind of job are you looking for? I'm looking for this kind of job. All right, where have you applied? Well, I haven't applied yet. I've just been praying. All right, well, you're an idiot. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the probably not the devil's attack. He doesn't need to attack you. This is a self-inflicted wound. Okay? <clears throat> pray and go. Both. Do both. Some of you are praying for healing. Amen. You pray for healing and then you go to the doctor. You go to the doctor because you might be praying, dear God, heal me. And he goes, I hear that prayer. And the answer is mayo. I have answered your prayer. You need a shot. Look, James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Where do you think the MRI came from? You think we made that up? Are you kidding me? Have you seen one of those things and what they do? It's miraculous that's from God. It's God's common grace that for generations and generations and generations, people pray, dear God, save me, save my kids. And he goes, I'm not just going to save you. I'm going to save millions. Here you go. Here's some penicillin. Every good and perfect gift is from above. If I come to the hospital and visit you, let a doctor or a nurse walk in. They walk in that place and I pray, we're going to pray and I'm going to pray for that doctor and I'm going to pray for that nurse. And I don't care what they believe, what they believe doesn't change the truth. The truth is that that person is a tangible expression of God's answered prayer. And so I put my hands on the doctor and I don't care if he, I don't, whatever he believes it doesn't matter. And I go, dear God, thank you so much that you would create this man or woman and you would call them and you would equip them and you would, by your common grace, give them the ability to come in here and be an instrument of your healing and we're gonna give you the glory regardless of how you decide to heal. If you wanna reach down and just heal this person, let them get up out the bed, come on, that's cool, we'll praise you for that. Or if you decide to heal them through medicine and technology or the hospitals, then praise God because every good and perfect gift is from above. You see, so you don't just pray and do nothing, you pray and then you go to the doctor. <clears throat> when I used to be the, uh, the chaplain for the Jacks Beach Police Department, I would tell those, those officers, those men and women, do you realize that you are a tangible answer to somebody's prayer request? That some crime is happening against them, and they cry out in Jesus' name, dear God, help me. And God says, I have heard your prayer, and I am sending you to Popo. And then you show up. <laughs> As an answer to prayer, that you are literally the hands and the feet and the nine millimeter and the handcuffs of Jesus, baby, to answer that person's prayer. So you pray and call 911. That's what you do. And sometimes the church prays some stupid stuff. Or they they pray, dear God. I mean, even as individuals, dear God, would you just please send somebody to talk to my friend or family member about you? And God's going, uh, Okay. What if I ask you to do the same thing? Why don't you be that somebody? You know, I was gonna mention the same thing to you or the church will get together and be like, dear God, please do something about the poor. God goes, you know what? I was kind of asking you the same question, church. That's why here we don't just pray for the poor, but we sponsor 2,500 Compassion Kids. We don't just pray for the nations, but we take the gospel to the nations. We don't just pray. Prayer, amen. Yes and amen, this will be a house of prayer But prayer, faith without works, is dead. And so, what have you been praying about that requires you to just open the door? And then when we pray, you know you're praying to a good dad, a heavenly father. And sometimes his answer is, I love you, no. And every parent in here, hopefully, you're giving a loving no to your kids, really on a weekly basis. I mean, I do it all the time, right? A seven-year-old boy at the house, J.P., I love you, but no, you cannot take a machete to first grade today. <clears throat> and so recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she didn't open the gate. She ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate again. So many times like the church, all talk, no action. Verse 15, look at their response. And they said to her, do you see who they is? They are, that's the prayer meeting. And they said to her, what do they say? Come on, read it, people. What did they say? right but they didn't sound like you did like you were out of your mind no they're like girl you done lost your mind think about this what are they praying about in the whole prayer meeting about one thing dear god in the name of jesus get peter out of jail and then rhoda shows up and says hey young, quit praying peter's standing at the gate and they're like shut up rhoda you done lost your mind get out of here you're messing up a prayer meeting I think it's so funny when people say, pastors love to say this, we need to get back to the early church. Yeah, the early church that didn't believe that God would answer the prayer they're praying, right? That's what they're praying. <clears throat> they're praying that Peter gets out of jail, and they say to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is its angel. They thought he was dead. They did not believe that God could answer their prayer. This should give you a great amount of comfort. Because did their lack of faith inhibit God? from doing what he was going to do. So let me ask you this. What have you been praying for that you quit praying for because you thought it was over God's head or out of God's hands? I'm going to tell you, don't give up on a God that's never given up on you. What have you been, what have you quit praying for that you need to keep praying for because God will or God has answered that prayer? And then, I love this part, but Peter continued knocking. So while they're in there discussing whether God can answer the prayer or not, Peter's going, hello, and might want to open the door real quick, but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, <clears throat> they saw him, and they were amazed, which that kind of amazes me. So that Greek word for amazed means, nuh-uh, that's what it means. So Peter comes walking in the door, and they're going, nuh-uh, we've been praying for you, and Peter's like, I know, I've been standing at the door knocking, trying to get in this place, all right? So even though they're praying, they don't even believe that God can really do it. At what point in our lives are we going to trust that God's going to come through on the promises that he has promised us? And think about this. At least 120 of the people that are in this prayer meeting, they were there the day that Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father. Think of the things that they have seen Jesus come through on already. That they saw him crucified, his, his, his hands pierced with nails, his feet pierced with nails, him screaming out, it is finished, that he died on Golgotha. They buried him three days later. He was resurrected from the grave. And then he appeared, not in some distant land, but he appeared in the city that he was crucified in. And he had breakfast. He appeared for over 40 days with about 500 different people, This dead guy is walking around and then they gather together and Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit falls on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And then he floated up to the right hand of God, the father. I mean, you want to talk about miraculous. That's pretty miraculous. And then Peter gets out of jail and they're like, no way. Yes way. If God can bring back his only begotten son from the dead, then he can get Peter out of jail. You know what our problem is as the church? Our problem as church people is there's too many times where we believe our doubts and doubt our beliefs instead of believing our beliefs and doubting our doubts. We need to keep believing what we believe and doubt what you doubt and quit doubting what you believe and believe in your doubts. I hope that makes sense to you. You see, because this is crazy. Let me tell you something crazy that happened in my life. When I was a teenager, I was a wretched, black-hearted sinner crooked and depraved. There was nothing good in me. I was just born wrong. And I bowed my knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And by nothing that I did, he saved me and reconciled me and cleansed me of all my sin and the wrath that I should have endured from an almighty, just, and perfect God, he put upon the cross of Jesus Christ. And his righteousness, that perfect life that he led and that right standing before God, he counted to my, my account. And so if he can do that, you think he can heal me? Yes. You think he can come through on promises? Yes and amen. And so they stand there and they are amazed. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Now don't run by that too fast, okay? Because don't think like Sunday school story, but this is an actual event. So Peter finally gets in there, and everybody's praying, and he's like, he doesn't, remember that talk to the hand thing that was cool like five or ten years ago? Peter made it up. He's like, shut up, everybody. Prayer meeting's over. Amen. Ta-da. I'm out of prison. Now, let me tell you what happened. And Peter says, he, he gives them an account of how the Lord rescued him. He says, y'all ain't gonna believe it. I was in the prison and this was my third time getting out of prison, so Herod was ticked off. So he had me chained to a guard on my right and a guard on my left. And there were 16 guards, four companies in front of me between me and the gate. And then late one night, <clears throat> I wasn't worried. Why? Because cause I don't have to be worried because Jesus is Lord. And so, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm good, so what did I do? I went to sleep. And so I was laying there sleeping and then, late in the night, an angel entered into the prison and struck me on the side and in a Jamaican accent, he said, arise, quickly. Talk to me, people, that's what he said. So this Jamaican angel comes in and he hits me on the side and I woke up and he said, arise, quickly. And so I got up and and, and as I got up, on my way up, the chains fell off and as I was making my way with the Jamaican angel, To the gate that was closed, when I got there, the gate opened. It must have been on one of those sensors, like at Publix, because when I got there, just all of a sudden, it opened up, and so I didn't sit back and wait for everything to work out and then step out, but I was just obedient to what God had told me to do, and on my way, as I was walking by faith and not by sight, the chains fell off, the guards were asleep, the doors opened up, and I walked here in faith, and then that girl Rhoda went and opened the door for a little while, so I've been standing out there for a minute, and now here I am before you, praise God, and that's what happened, and all people said amen, amen? amen. And so, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Now, this isn't dead James, because you do not gonna tell him much anymore. This is the new James. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, think about this for a second. All right, you want some evidence? You want some evidence for the reliability of scripture? How many of you have a brother? If you have a brother, raise your hand. Okay, raise it high. Come on. All right. Now, everybody with your hand up, imagine that your brother comes to you and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. Um, we shared a room together, Paul. I'm pretty sure not, you're not God. No, seriously, I am God, the, the only begotten son of the one true God. But like, no, I'm pretty sure God doesn't wet his bed, and we shared a room, and I am not worshiping you. But James, the brother of Jesus, looks at the evidence, and Jesus claims to be the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of all the world. And James, his brother, says, yep, yeah, and, and worships him as Lord. And so he says, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and he went to another place. You see, faith always moves us to action. Faith always moves us to action. And so what Peter does here is he says, I'm not gonna stick around here and we're gonna glory in the good old days of church, but faith moves us to action. Something I've been teaching on a lot lately, but I feel like our church needs to hear it, is that the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear, And if faith moves us to action, then fear paralyzes us. And one of the favorite tools of the enemy, one of his favorite tools is fear. Because if you put your faith in Christ, if you are redeemed, then then the enemy can't do anything about your eternity. You are bought and paid for, sealed. It is done. You're going to be in heaven one day, and he can't touch you. And so in the meantime, he can't do anything about your faith. But if he can, if he can stir in you some fear, then he can, he can paralyze you, and you won't move. And so the opposite of faith, the opposite of faith is fear. Faith moves to action. That's why the church needs to be a church of action and not full of fear. Um. When I was in college, we used to go to this place called Maymont Park. I went to VCU in, in downtown Richmond, and right in the middle of the city, there was, this, there was this like petting zoo kind of place called Maymont Park, and it was kind of ghetto, but one cool thing that they had <clears throat> that we used to love to go see is they had these fainting goats. Have you ever seen a fainting goat? All right, Google it. Not right now in the sermon. That's a sin, but do it after church. <clears throat> they had these fainting goats, and if you scare a fainting goat, ah, then the goat would just freeze up and fall on the ground Stiff as a board. And there are all these signs like don't mess with the goats and don't trick the fainting goats and Joby quit scaring the fainting goats and me and my fraternity brothers, we would go there and we'd make a sport of it and they'd they'd freeze up and fall over and we would just laugh and laugh and it never ceases to be funny. (laughs) It's like America's Funniest Home Videos. You know where the guy's getting it and still you're like, "Uh, yeah, and you laugh again. All right, same thing. Scream at the goat and he falls over. There's so many times it's like the modern day church that the modern day church is afraid to move, afraid to move, that God has called us to step out in faith and do some bold, audacious, courageous things. And instead of stepping out in faith, that we freeze up and are paralyzed by fear. There are some of you in this room and the reason that you have not been obedient to God's call in your life is because of fear. And if that fear begins to stir inside of you, I'm telling you, God did not give us the spirit of fear. If that fear is telling you, no, you better not go on that mission trip. All right, that is not the Father speaking. No, you better not be a generous giver. How are you gonna pay your bills, all right? And I'm not saying take your light bill money and tithe. I'm saying have God-glorifying finances, all right, that you do money God's way, but you don't be driven by fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And so when Jesus talks about fear, he talks about the opposite of fear is faith. There's a time when um, Jesus was, on a boat with his disciples, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee, and this storm comes up, and all the disciples are freaking out. Do you remember what Jesus was doing? He was asleep in the bottom of the boat, all right? You want to be like Jesus today? You ought to take you a nap, okay? That's what the Bible says, and so there he is taking a nap, and they come in, and they're freaking out. Jesus, you got to wake up. Help us out, and he's aggravating. What's wrong with you? Go and wake up the king of kings during his nap time, all right? And so he gets up, gets to the front of the boat, and he tells the wind and the waves to calm down. And it just calms down. And the disciples are going, man, what, what manner of being is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And then he looks at his disciples and he says, you of little faith. And he doesn't say, why do you doubt? He says, you of little faith. Why are you afraid? Do you understand? That faith moves us to action and fear will paralyze you. And so do not be ruled by fear. There are churches all around, at least our country, and they are not living up to the God-given redemptive potential that God has put in that church. And you know why? Because the pastors and the leadership, they're afraid of some building committee. They're afraid that they're going to offend somebody that's been around for a long time, and it leads to paralysis, but not our church our church. I hope and I pray that we will, we will have a faith-filled church that makes courageous and bold moves, not for our sake, not for a First Coast news story, but for the glory of God, and so that other churches and other people will give God the glory because they would see us walking not by sight, but by faith. Amen? That's the kind of church that we are going to be about, and so it's just like Peter. You see, what some of you are doing, some of you, God has called you to rise up and to walk and you're saying, yeah, but God, what am I going to do about these chains? I get these chains, these financial chains, I got these addiction chains, I got these my past, I'm chained to it. So God, if you will take the chains off and if you'll do something about the 16 guards and if you'll go ahead and open the gate that from here I can see is already shut, then I'll do what you called me to do. And God's going, that's not what faith's all about. Faith is about stepping out on what I've called you to do before all the circumstances look like they've worked themselves out. And that you, I mean, anybody can walk a well-lit path. But what I'm calling you to do is walk by faith and not by sight. Now I'm not talking about making dumb decisions, all right? But I'm talking about when God has called you to step out in faith, that on your way up are when the chains fall off. On your way to the closed gate is when the guards fall asleep. When you get to that roadblock, then you can trust God that he will open that door and then you walk through. And that's what God is calling you and I to do individually and collectively as a church. And here's the good news. Here's the thing that ought Because I know what some of you are saying, yeah, but pastor, I don't have that much faith. If you're the kind of person that says, you know what, I've just got a tiny little bit of faith, guess what the good news is? You would make a great disciple. You would make a great disciple because the church, the church is praying that Peter's going to get out of prison and they don't even believe that their prayer is going to work, right? You ever pray like that? Because I'm going to just confess, I pray like that sometimes. There are times where I pray and I just have to choose in faith to pray, all right, Lord, do this. And then sometimes I want to give God kind of an out clause, right? And I kind of throw on, if it be thy will, just in case he can't pull it off. I'll say, yeah, but see, he answered it because if you'll remember, I said at the end, if it be thy will, and it wasn't thy will, so he's still okay. If, if you're praying that way, guess what? You'd make a really great disciple because the church is praying for the release of Peter and they don't even believe it can happen. Girl, you're out your mind. And does that stop God from doing what God's going to do? No. It doesn't. I hope, that, I hope that comforts you a little bit in your walk with Christ. Thank God that answered prayer isn't based on our faith, but on his faithfulness. Thank God that God's not dependent on us, but that we're dependent on him. Now, is faith important? You better believe it. Faith is not a part of your walk with Jesus. Faith is the whole thing, all right? The Bible says in Hebrews that, that without faith, no one can please God. The Bible says that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. So without faith, putting your faith in Christ, there is no salvation. But it also says that we don't muster up faith. I mean, how do you just have faith? Because I know some of you, especially, you know, if you're a little bit of a skeptic, kind of like I am, you're just going, well, I don't know if I can just believe. How do you just believe? Believe, you know, you can't just believe. It's like trying to go to sleep. Just sleep. Man, it just makes it worse. Now I'm, now I'm awake and angry that I can't sleep, Right? That faith is a gift of God. But look how Jesus talks about it. In Matthew 17, there's this faith crisis with the disciples. And Jesus talks about it this way in Matthew 17, 4. He says, and when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. And Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Jesus is saying, you people are getting on my nerves. That's what he's saying. And he says, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said it in because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed... You will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll move and nothing will be impossible for you. You know what the point of what Jesus is saying is? It's not the amount of faith that you have, but it's where you put your faith that matters. Because you can have all kind of faith in something that can't do anything about the situation. And you know what's going to happen? Nothing. You can have all the faith in the world in you. And you've done that before. And it's why you're here today. Because you know it doesn't work out? Or you can take that tiny little bit of mustard. You know how big a mustard seed is? Here, look. Can you see that? No, I don't even have one because you couldn't see it anyway. It's so small. (laughs) All right? It's like the smallest thing that Jesus could think of. Just like a little mustard seed. It's so tiny that you wouldn't even be able to see it from the front row. And so Jesus is saying it's not because there's some teaching out there. Today on television, you could find this teaching. If you can get your faith meter up to the red line, then God owes you, then God will move. And so if you don't believe, then you gotta get your faith meter all the way up to red line, and then he'll step in and do whatever it is that you have asked him to do. Let me just tell you this. The reason that's a heresy is because it is idolatry. When you start praying that way, then your health, your comfort, your financial situation, your relationship, that becomes the God. That becomes what you really want, and God is your do-boy to get you there. And it is idolatry. You see, when you pray in faith, you know what the reward is? You get God. And he is a good dad. He is a good dad. He is for his glory and he is for your joy. That's why we can claim, Romans 8, 28, that God works in all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, does it always work out for you? Not the way you thought it would. They were praying for James too. He died, all right? But we'll meet James one day and it's going to be all right. It might not feel okay right now, but it's going to be all right. God doesn't drive an ambulance. He's not running around the, the, the solar system cleaning up after all of our messes. He is sovereign. He is in control. But on this side of heaven, on this side of eternity, we see through a glass dimly. On this side of heaven, we see in part. On that side, we will see in full. And even your unanswered prayers will begin to make sense in God's master plan. But thank God. Thank God that it's not our faith, but his faithfulness that makes the difference. Now, one of the things that Peter shows us here is that oftentimes when you are walking in the middle of it, sometimes it's hard to see the hand of God. How many of you Christians have ever been able to look back over your walk with Jesus in the past, and even some of the things that you thought were his discipline were actually his grace? Even some of the times that you thought you were being attacked, he was actually God working in the details for his better purpose that you can look over. I mean, you know, our, our, our view of God is 2020 in the past, didn't it? We can look back and see where his hand has been moving us. But sometimes in the situation, it's so hard to see. That's why while Peter was getting out of prison, he thought maybe this is just a vision. I don't even know if this is really happening. But after he got out, he could look back and say, oh, yep, I know that God sent an angel. Let me illustrate it this way. I'm going to teach you how to, um, you guys know how to blood trail a deer? I mean, I'm sure most of you do, but that's just a review anyway. <laughs> and, and I know, I, I, sometimes people say, why so many hunting illustrations? You know, I'm offended. Well, if you want a ballet illustration, you're going to have to find a different church. All right, so, <clears throat> so I hunt often. And so when you shoot a deer or whatever you want to shoot, when you shoot it, it, and then you get down to try to find it because they always run off, it just looks different from the ground. You're up here in the tree stand, it looks one way, you get down on the ground, you look back, and the perspective's different, it just looks different. And then when you find that first little piece of evidence, blood, hair, whatever it is, I won't make it too gory. But when you find that first little evidence that, that he went that way, then what you're supposed to do is you mark it and they sell this like marker tape that you can you can put, but it's expensive and I'm a redneck, so I just use toilet paper. So I carry some toilet paper in and then and then you just put a little piece of toilet paper there, and then you, then you start walking, and you look, and you go, oh, here's another little drop, and you take that piece of toilet paper, and you put it on the, on the tree, and then you go, and you go, oh, here's another little piece of hair, whatever, some kind of evidence, and then you put that up. I don't see anybody writing this down. People, I'm trying to tell you how to blood trail a deer. This is important. Now, inevitably, you're going to get to a spot that kind of opens up, and, and you don't know which way he went. And you're looking, and you're looking, and your buddies, everybody's looking, and you can't find any evidence. No blood, no hair, nothing. You can't find a, a track, anything. And you don't know which way he went. And so that's why you put the little markers up, so that you can look back over your shoulder, and you can begin to identify the trail that he was on. And the trail that he was on and the direction that he was going, what he did in the past will help you understand what direction you need to go in to stay on the trail. It's why in the Old Testament, you get this weird verse in Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time to gather stones together. What that was about is in the Old Testament, that any time God would show up in a miraculous way, whenever he would touch down on humanity, then, then God's children would get together 12 stones and they would build an altar to mark a time that God was faithful and showed up. And so for generations, kids would say to their dads, Dad, what's this altar doing here? And they'd say, son, that's where, that's where God wrestled Jacob in this place. Or, Dad, what's this altar doing here? That, that's where he brought our people through the Red Sea. And so you need some of those markers in your life. You need to look back in your rear view mirror. When, the, when looking out the, the windshield is a little confusing, or maybe, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you can look over your shoulder and you can see the places that God has been faithful. And that you can remind it that it's not based on your faith, but His faithfulness. And you know what? The number one overwhelming marker that you always align yourself to, it's behind me right there, it's the cross. That you want to know if God is faithful to you, Then you look at the cross because because God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And it is the empirical evidence that it's not based on my faith, on the amount of faith that I have, but it's based on his faithfulness. And I know some of you right now, you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you don't feel like you have a lot of faith. Well, good news. Then you take whatever it is, whatever that gift of faith that he's given you, no matter how big or how small. Because I know some of you have huge faith, okay? And you weird the rest of us out. You just do. We don't know what to do with you. Praise God. Keep going. We'll see you in heaven, all right? But for most of us, doubt and fear and all of that kind of mixed in with our faith, and you take that little bit of mustard seed faith and you can say, Father in heaven, this is all I've got right now. And you know what God says? He goes, that's fine, because my grace is enough for you. And it's based on his faithfulness. And so we're going to end. Can I just read the Bible to end today? Okay, we believe it. It's James. It's James chapter 5, verse 13. It says, is anyone among you suffering? I mean, there's some of you in this room, and you are suffering. And it says, let him pray. You see, some of you, (laughs) some of you are suffering an addiction. And you've been battling and battling and battling. And you got to pray. And you're like, Pastor, I've prayed. Well, keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying and go to rehab. And keep praying. And if you're suffering, then you pray. And you step out in faith, then you're going to pray that the chains will fall off. And some of you have got suffering marriages, And you think, God, there is no way you can reconcile this because he cheated on me and I am out. And in the flesh, that's fine. But by the power of God, God can reconcile that thing. I don't know if you know this, before Jesus went into full-time ministry, he was a carpenter. He is really good at rebuilding things. And you bring him that broken marriage and you say, God, I need help and I don't know how this is gonna happen. And God says, perfect, I'll take that. And some of you have some prodigal children some sons and daughters, and and you think God owes you because you raised them in the church and you prayed prayers over them every night and they went to VBS and they did everything. You did everything you thought you were supposed to do and they have run away from you and you have broken relationships with them and you just, above everything else, you just wish you could have your son or have your daughter back. And even more importantly than that, you just wish they would come home to the loving arms of their heavenly father. And if you're suffering through that, then you need to pray and some of you have broken finances, and you're suffering, and you need to pray. And some of you have broken bodies, and you need to pray for healing. And I'm telling you, the Bible says by his stripes we are healed. And the Bible promises healing, not always cures, not always cures. The Apostle Paul prayed that the thorn in his flesh would be removed three times, and God said, I love you, no, I love you, no, I love you, no, but I want you to know my grace is sufficient for you. And some of you, this is the biggest prayer request of all, some of you are lost. You've been trying to earn your righteousness by being good. And you need to pray and surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. And some of you think you've done something so bad that you're disqualified from God's love. And for the first time, you need to pray and receive and receive what Christ did for you on the cross. So, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Because everybody, this ain't like a bummer party, right? Everybody here ain't suffering. Some people are doing good. I'm going to Napa tomorrow, <laughs> all right? So you know what I'm about to do? Sing praise. That's what the word says, people, right here, all right? Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Some of you are sick. Some of you are physically sick. Some of you are spiritually sick. Some of you are relationally sick. It says, let him call the elders of the church so we've got some elders that are here today, and we don't have enough elders to pray for everybody in here, so by extension, we're going to use staff and deacons, and at the end of the service, the front is going to be lined up with people who want to pray over you. And it says, let him call the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So look what I brought today, oil, all right? Now, let me just tell you this, all right? I know all you Pentecostals are getting finally church, all right? But listen... <clears throat> I was ordained Southern Baptist, all right? So we didn't, only thing we anointed was chicken fried steak with sawmill gravy, okay? So I'm not, but you know why we're doing it? Because it's what the Word says to do. And by faith, we stand on the authority of the Word of God. And we are going to pray, and we're going to anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. And you know where I got this oil? There's a guy that comes to 722 named Gary Israel. All right, how spiritual must you be if your name is Israel? You know what I mean? And you know where he brought me this oil from? Israel. All right? This didn't come out of a factory in Palatka. All right? This is like Jerusalem oil. And I don't know if it's any more spiritual than Western oil, but that's what I got, and that's what we're going to use. And listen, I'm saying, because if I were sitting where you're sitting early on in my Christianity, I would think, I am not going up there and let that bald head dude do white oil on my head and say a prayer, because that's weird, and I'm not into weird. But by faith, if you're sick... You're struggling, if you're in trouble, this is where the faith comes in. If you go, Lord, I don't know what anything will happen, it doesn't matter. But by faith, you're going to trust the Word of God and you're going to walk down here at the end of the service. And here's why verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. I'm not going to do anything but pray. The Lord does all the work. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Then it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Are you saying, Pastor, that you're righteous? You are absolutely right that I am righteous. Is it based on my righteousness? Oh, no. I am the chief sinner in the room. But the Bible says that God made him who was without sin to be sin for us, that we would be made his righteousness. So that is why I can stand before you as clean. Because I'm clean? Oh, no, I'm filthy and blackhearted. But Christ endured the penalty and the payment for that on the cross. I have bowed my knee and surrendered my life to the lordship of Christ. And so on his behalf, I can stand here before you with a right standing before God. And then I love this verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. You know who Elijah was? I don't know if you read the Old Testament very much. Elijah, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. And if they were to give out the heavyweight championship belt of the Old Testament prophets, Elijah wins. At one point in the Old Testament, Elijah stares down over 450 prophets of Baal. And he wins. He calls fire down from heaven. And fire came down and burned them all up. And you know what the Bible wants us to know? The Bible wants us to know that Elijah was a man just like me. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months. And it didn't rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and it gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. That's so what the Bible wants you to know. Is you think it's cool to cut off the rain, that's neat. But Elijah was a man just like you. And he prayed in faith. and that it, And that he depended not on the amount of faith that he had, but God's faithfulness. And if the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead could do that, and that same Holy Spirit lives in you and me, then you and I can together... Agree in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And what father among you, if his son were to ask for bread, would give him a stone? And if you, though you are a wicked dad, can give good things to your kids, then how much more will our perfect heavenly father give to those who ask in Jesus' name? And so the way that we are going to end is we're going to be faithful to the word of God. And we're going to end by praying just the way James says to pray. Is there anybody here sick? financially sick, relationally sick, spiritually sick, physically sick, whatever kind of sick. Then we gather the elders. And again, on behalf of the elders, we're going to have staff and deacons down here too. And then you come in faith. And we're believing that as you arise and walk, that on your way down, the chains are going to fall off. And I know all you can see is guards in front of you. And I know all you can see is a closed gate in front of you. And on your way, we're trusting God that the guards are going to fall asleep and that the gate is going to fling wide open and that God is going to answer prayer because of our faithfulness? No, absolutely not. None of this is based on our good works, but he is going to work because he is faithful. Would you please stand and pray with me? Good and gracious heavenly father, God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness as demonstrated on the cross. God, we don't come to you so that we get good from you. God, we come to you because you are good. You are God. God, we know that you are for your glory and you are for our joy. So God, for the for the men and women, the students in this place right now, and the pain that we are experiencing as a part of your discipline, God, teach us quick. Teach us quick. Draw us unto you. But God, just as James taught us, Lord, we confess our sins. Lord, we are going to pray for one another. We are going to anoint with oil in the name of the Lord that we might be healed, that we might be physically, spiritually, mentally, relationally healed. God, I pray for marriages in this place. God, I pray for reconciliation in this place. God, I pray that that Christians in this room would dole out forgiveness just as it it has been doled out to us on the cross. God, I pray for God-glorifying finances. God, I pray for this church, that the enemy has no place in this church, that he is not welcome in this church, that you did not give us individually as a group or as a church, God, the spirit of fear, but the power of love and self-discipline. And God, we love you and we can love you because you first loved us. We pray it in Jesus' name. And let us respond to the gospel by you coming to the altar for the staff and elders to pray for you.